0: I got terminal uniqueness. I'm an egocentric man. I get caught up in my freakness, but I ain't no Peter Pan. Welcome, one and all, to Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morset. Joined, as always, oh, you know him you love him. He's the sexiest man in podcasting. Scott Haskin. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, Corey. How are you doing? Not as good as you, my friend. I mean, you're, you're loving life and living it up in Las Vegas. You got a sphere.
1: You got cars are going to be racing by soon. Life doesn't get much better than that. It was a wonderful video that somebody posted of the sphere uh, in its yellow emoji state. And it was it just kind of morphs into, you know, raising its eyebrow, looking around, looking accusatory. The way that their hotel room window was, it was right in the bottom corner of their window. So they just saw the one eye and the (laughs) way it was looking around and judging them. And I thought, man, that's got to be like the best room for a a sphere view in all the whole city. But it's it's a complete mess right now. Um, This Formula One thing has been such a a crazy mess. We'll see what happens with it. We'll see how quickly they tear it down. I think that's what everyone's kind of waiting for now that we're like two weeks away from the race. Yes, I know uh, Bono and the boys
0: uh, told the crowd the other night that uh, they're going to take a little break. They're going to give Las Vegas. He said, "Uh, we're giving Las Vegas back. Well, no, we're not. We're giving it to Formula One uh, for a little while. But once they're done uh, whipping around the streets, uh, you two will be back in there. Uh, In other concert news, Scott, I got some sad news for myself. I had to give up. I had to give up my Metallica tickets uh, for next year in Edmonton. So no Metallica, no Pantera, no uh, Mammoth WVH uh, for me. Let's get into Aerosmith, shall we? And Scott Haskin, a couple of weeks ago, you did a very cool thing. A very novel idea. You put a poll on a tweet and you asked no. for people's engagement. Yeah, uh, this is technically two weeks ago, folks, uh, to you know, kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. Scott and I record a couple of weeks in advance. So we, he put out a poll for uh, the tune back in the saddle. Asking quite simply, does it belong on the mixtape or should we ditch it? Uh, We got a a lot of views, uh, a few votes, uh, pretty overwhelming, 88.9%. It belongs on the tape. 11.1% ditched the song. And actually, uh, one of our listeners, Kyle Anderson, said, I accidentally hit no. It belongs on the tape. So it's actually a higher number than what we originally thought. But I, I thought it was cool that people are commenting on here. So I just wanted to read a few, if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, uh, let me just say, though, uh, if they had voted this song 100% no, I, we wouldn't be taking it off the tape. I'm just curious to know how people feel about the song, because it's one of those things where it's kind of polarizing, right? You've got your people that love the song because it's a great song, and then you've got your people that are just sick of hearing it, and they just can't get themselves to say, yes, this is a, a great song because they're tired of it.
0: Yeah, and actually, I just did the math. Um, the one, it's only one no vote, and it was Kyle accidentally hitting it. So it is 100% right now, oh, technically. Beautiful. Uh, it belongs on the mixtape. So Kyle is a yes. Uh, the account uh, named Tom Dust says, absolutely. It should be the opening track and the name of the mixtape. And I believe I mentioned we should put that at the beginning. We, it should kick off the mixtape and be the opener. So mm-hmm. great idea, Tom. Great minds think alike. Yes. Uh, Steve Hunt says, uh, Back in the Saddle is their best tune. Of course it should be on. I, uh best tune i think is a little subjective but uh, it absolutely uh, should be on i think both scott and i agree and uh, our good buddy michael green who's been listening to the show uh since the very beginning hi michael thank you very much for supporting the show uh he says yes just listened i'm in agreement good call you guys are right in saying that tom might be one of the t- one of the best bassists in rock absolutely mm-hmm. yep. yeah that's uh i be- i become more and more convinced uh the-, the more we do this show scott he's just phenomenal
1: yeah, I can't imagine this band being the same with a more standard bass player. Like if you just had a guy that comes in and he plays the eighth notes and does the job, you know, does what a bass can do, but doesn't do what a bass could do. This band would be a lot different just based on that one thing alone. And just on a little uh, side tangent, I'm doing this show
0: with Kevin Brown called The Ultimate Catalog Clash mm-hmm. and recovering Phil Collins era Genesis. And one of the revelations on that show for me was, Uh, Mike Rutherford is a bass player. Holy cow. There's another guy who just doesn't play root notes. He's actually creating melody with the bass. And it's wonderful to hear. He's really, really underrated as well.
1: I don't know. I I feel like he's a better bass player than he is a guitarist. But I don't think he gets the chance to really shine as a guitarist a whole lot in Genesis. I think he did better on his own stuff, like his solo albums. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of his stuff is buried, uh, especially in the mix. He has two alpha personalities.
0: He might be more of a beta. Uh, kind of take Mm -hmm. a little back seat and maybe tom's that kind of that way too when you got steven tyler and joe perry in the band you know obviously tom's had his moments to shine aka sweet emotion uh, Mm -hmm. amongst others right but uh you know you know i don't know it's kind of an interesting dynamic that band because you got two very alpha males who are not afraid to kind of ram heads right and then you got joey and brad and tom you kind of wonder what their what their relationship is like within that band It, it, it goes back to spinal tap right if steven tyler is fire and Joe Perry is ice the three of them are the lukewarm water
1: very true and he might just come in and go you know what uh this is what I'm going to play on the song whatever they do with me in the mix is what they do with me in the mix but I'm going to come in and do a good job and that's all I focus on uh he might come in and go you know what I'm not getting in between those two I'm just going to do my thing
0: and you know uh, Aerosmith's best best records like rocks uh bass is very prominent uh in Mm -hmm. the mix uh on those records but uh we're not talking rocks here tonight. We don't have any rock songs on our dice. Should we talk we about don't? what's on the dice?
1: Let's do it. We've got, we've got a, good, uh, a good variety of songs here. We've got, you know, hits. We've got deep tracks. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what we draw
0: tonight. That's right. Currently on our dice for tonight is uh, Joni's Butterfly from Rockin' a Hard Place, Pandora's Box from Get Your Wings, Angel from Permanent Vacation, Fever from Get a Grip, Love in an Elevator from Pump, and Make It. From the self-titled record. Scott Haskin, uh, what's she in the mood for tonight?
1: Uh, you know, Corey, I
0: feel like opening Pandora's box. Oh, that's like two weeks in a row you picked that
1: one. You you really want to get that one off the old dice, don't you? It's it's such an intriguing title. I'm curious to know what it is because it doesn't sound, well, I could easily see a sexual metaphor there. I mean, it's it's they're almost throwing it at me, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kind of uh, hoping it's something else. <laughs> <laughs> um you know what i'm I just listening to a
0: lot of genesis last night and we had i, I don't want to spoil anything for people who might listen to that show and you should listen to that show it's a good time uh there there, there was a, some stock ballads that i listened to last night you know, mm-hmm. like I, I i really want a, a a ballad that aerosmith really elevates and that's angel and mm-hmm. uh yeah you know, we even talked about a song like we all fall down last week it was very kind of stock the band's barely even trying or even playing on it for that matter it's very much i don't want to miss a thing uh, in yeah. that regard Mm. Uh, Angel is a band song, I, I think, and uh, unless I'm totally misremembering it. But it's also, uh, you know, one of my wedding songs uh, from way, way Uh-oh. back when I got married. Uh, gosh, almost 20 years ago. So, uh, uh, for my dear wife, who's uh, not feeling well, her entire workplace has COVID, and she's kind of holding down the fort, fort on her own. She went to bed at like eight o'clock uh, this evening. I'm going to try and manifest Angel here tonight.
1: Okay, I'm going to I'm going to back you up on that one uh but you know i i just want to throw in there and i say this every week what a great show the ultimate catalog clash is that you do with our buddy kevin brown but but guys it really is a fantastic show it's a, it's a very unique approach to reviewing music and making it kind of a a bit of a game at the same time but the the music review does not suffer for trying to make it into a game. I think it's a great show. I love that you guys picked Genesis because that's not Corey's world at all until you get to the more modern, you know, the later albums. So I think it's been an absolute joy to listen to that show. And I hope that everybody that's listening here will go check it out. Well, thank you very much. And uh, if I
0: win season one, the band I'm picking for season two is very much not in Kevin Brown's comfort zone. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But before that... that, that wouldn't be the go-go's. Oh gosh, no. No. And I love the go-go's. Fuck. There's one I got I I told them last night I have twenty-three bands on my list of potential <laughs> bands for the show. I have twenty-four now. I'm gonna put the go-go's on there. But nice. Before I get there, we gotta roll this dice and we gotta play a song here. So let's uh, toss it over to Steven Tyler.
1: Toss of the-
0: <laughs> and we're going all the way back to the original album, Make It. From 1973. Here we go. This is a Scott selection. Uh, what made you want to pick uh, Make It?
1: Well, you know, as, as I don't know the majority of the songs that we have left to review, uh, I'm just kind of going through and looking at albums that haven't gotten either a lot of attention or we haven't had in a while. And I thought, you know, this would be a good time to revisit the album Aerosmith and uh, knock another one off the list.
0: Well, uh, that's a good one. Uh, Steven Tyler, I uh, just found a quote from him uh, talking about uh, the inspirations for the song Make It. And he says, quote, I wrote Make It in a car driving from New Hampshire to Boston. There's that hill you come to and see the skyline of Boston. And I was sitting in the backseat thinking, what would be the greatest thing to sing for an audience if we were opening up for the Stones? What would the lyrics say? And this is what he came up with. So,
1: Opening up for the Stones. That's very specific. Yeah.
0: Big Stones fans, and you can tell they're obviously a big influence uh, on uh, on Aerosmith. Uh, you know, you're you're either kind of a Beatles fan or a Stones fan, right? If you like more blues oriented rock, you gravitate to the Stones. A little more progressive, uh, mm-hmm. you're or poppy even. You, you gravitate to the Beatles. So, uh, not shocked at all that you know Zeppelin and, and the Stones are kind of Stevens bands.
1: I'm actually a fan of both. I probably listen more to the Beatles than I do to the Stones, but I like a lot of older Stones tunes me too and actually uh, the new uh, stones record
0: really good like i yeah. was quite
1: surprised i will have to check that out i will say just off the top of my head it would be very interesting if aerosmith would have done a cover of like mother's little helper mm-hmm. that could have been really cool or a complete disaster depending on when they did it
0: uh, i'm thinking about something like give me shelter or oh even yeah. painted black right like they would do really good versions of that so.
1: Yep. I agree. All right. Rolling Stones cover album. Come on, Aerosmith.
0: Yeah. Get on it. You're not doing anything right now. Well, Steven can't sing at the moment, I
1: guess. Hey, That's... they can get the backing tracks done though. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Really like, and l- let's see what,
0: how Joey's doing. Uh, I hope people are checking in on Joey because he hasn't been able to, to join the tour. Uh, yeah. He's had some rough luck with health and then unfortunately his wife passing away. Uh, I really hope maybe, maybe Scott, give him a call. Like uh, you're down there in the states, I'm sure you have his number. Just yeah, so just do give a me, little health check. Yeah, because yeah. we all love Joey, and we hope Joey's okay. Definitely. All right. On that note, we're going all the way back to 1973, the debut album, and the first cut off that album. This is "Make It." <laughs>
1: let's just talk about that intro a little bit. I, I really like that little galloping part. That, that's kind of nice that it, it's, it's nice that it's short and it's just a transition. But man, the sound is so weird to get used to after hearing all these more recent cleaner sounding songs. This is definitely a late 60s sound. No kidding.
0: Uh, maybe not as bad as say like the early Kiss records were, where they're mm-hmm. almost unlistenable. It, yeah. It's like, you're, it's, it's like you, you, you stick your head in a sleeping bag and you put the speaker in there, and you're trying to make it out. It's terrible. It's better than that, but yeah, the production on this isn't great. Adrian Barber produced this record. The only album here we're uh, did with the band, and Stephen's doing his his kind of fake voice uh, on this yeah. record, where he's uh, you know de- definitely not singing in his natural voice. But I'd love this as the opening track because you have that great galloping intro, shades maybe of uh, ba- uh, back in the saddle when that would come up in in rocks. And the opening lines: "Good evening, people. Welcome to the show. Got something here I want y'all to know. Like it's a great." album slash concert opener.
1: Yeah, it's kind of similar in concept lyrically to uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer doing Welcome Back, My Friends, to the show that never ends as as an album opener. Uh, I I love that lead in, and I I love that they're kind of using this as an opportunity to introduce themselves because this being the first song off of their debut album, uh, I'm sure that they had released a single or two ahead of it, but to, uh, to start the album that way is kind of cool. That's right, uh, and the only single from this record was "Dream On." Uh, oh,
0: Stephen okay. Tyler was the only band member who'd ever been in a studio before; uh, the other guys hadn't. So uh, maybe a little trepidation too when the red light comes on, right? And you have to try and yeah. you know, get your shit together. Uh, Tom Hamilton uh, was recollecting about this record and said, uh, "Quote: The album was done so fast I barely remember anything but overdubbing some tracks and running to the bathroom for a hit of blow." <laughs>
1: <laughs> right and, off the bat,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe Perry said, uh, we were uptight, afraid to make mistakes. We were total novices with no idea what to go for.
1: Well, that's why a lot of times bands, too, will record two or three concerts to uh, put out a live album because the first night, they're very self-conscious because they know they're being recorded. They can't just relax and go do their thing. By night two, you're getting over that. By night three, you're putting on a good show. Yep. All right, let's keep her going.
0: All right. That's the chorus. I got to tell you, the guitars are pretty kick-ass.
1: They are, but overall, uh, there's definitely a difference, not just in the production, but in the sound, because it sounds very thin. There's like a lot of open space that I'm not used to hearing with them. Also, I feel like Steven is very uncomfortable. Singing this way, like he's he's trying to do something that's just very not natural. It doesn't sound bad, but knowing what he can do, he sounds very much like I better stay in this range. You know, to hear the band do this song today would be much
0: different, and, and I, I agree. I, I think it would be better as well. I do mm-hmm. like how the song is constructed. Uh, I, I love the guitars. The bass is great. Good, drums are good. Again, it's not produced overly great, but early seventies. That's kind of a byproduct of the time. And uh, mm-hmm. Steven's, uh, you know, weird voice that he does on this record, yeah, I can kind of take it or leave it. I don't mind it so much on this song as to uh, opposed to a song like Dream On, where he does that so much better uh, mm-hmm. live now than he did uh, on the recorded version here. But um, so far, uh, I'm not finding a lot of fault in it. I'm, I'm still kind of bopping along and digging it.
1: Yeah, it's a cool song. But production-wise, yeah, you're not getting your, your 26-inch sounding permanent vacation bass drum on this song. Nope. <laughs>
0: What did you think of that kind of, uh, that kind of breakdown there?
1: I like it, but I realize what is missing. There's no little Joe Perry fill-ins. It's, that's, that's why it sounds so, so roomy to me is because there isn't that little, there isn't those little inflections, those little bits of things that we're used to getting from Joe. Uh, it's, it's, it's straightforward for Aerosmith.
0: We almost had it in that section there, but I couldn't tell if it was Joe or if it was Brad. Like uh, like you said, Joe would be a lot looser, yeah. Uh, whereas Brad is a lot more technical. And yeah, it, it's hard to tell. Uh, Joe and Brad are co-leads on this song, so I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure uh, who that was in that little section that where they kind of actually did that little mm-hmm. uh, little break, but yeah, it, I, I agree. G- give me some Joe Perry slide guitar, just something you yeah. can kind of improvise over that while Brad is playing kind of the main riff or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that makes more of an Aerosmith sound than, than what we had here. Still wasn't mad at it, though.
1: No, not at all. I I think it sounds good. Um, Just, just different from what I'm used to. It's almost like they had to record on eight track versus like a 16 or a 32 track studio. Like they only had eight tracks. They didn't really want to bounce. So they just tried to minimize everything and didn't do fill-ins. But even just to have like a little Joe Perry, like, you know, something at at the end of one of those uh, would make a big difference. But for, you know, for an opening song, it's, it's setting a good tone for the album i tell you about the, uh, the
0: the sound of the album. Uh, I think I said this on another uh, Aerosmith show, uh, but uh, Joe Perry uh, was talking about uh, when he heard the playback and he said, quote, uh, we're better than this. We should sound better than this. We're being recorded wrong. We sound fucking flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he said he lacked the studio chops uh, to say anything about it, so he just kept quiet. And so he says uh, there's magic on this record, just not the magic that he had envisioned.
1: And it haunts him to this day.
0: There you go. If only if if they would have stopped here, maybe it would. But they they wrote some pretty big songs after this, so I don't know if it mm-hmm. still haunts <laughs> them. Yeah.
1: What do you think, Scott? It sounded like they just moved into another room. I, I almost feel like the, the ride symbol is definitely across the room, and and our poor drummer had to throw sticks at it to hit it and get it to make a sound. <laughs> it is way over there. Um, overall, I thought that was a pretty cool part. That was a little bit more progressive uh, for them.
0: It really was. like It didn't really kind of have that Aerosmith bluesy rock sound. It, it yeah. sounded more like you said, like, like progressive, like when Genesis, again, going back to them, uh, the three of them get in a room and they just jam for three hours, like on mm-hmm. on the same idea and take it different spots. It, it was almost constructed like that. It didn't have that kind of looseness of it of, I'm just going to slap on my guitar and go, you right. know, everything was almost like placed where it needed to be. Uh, e- even the, the, the drum roll there, right? Like, and then kind of back to it sounded like it was, it was too deliberate if that makes any sense. Aerosmith is more loosey goosey, I feel, especially in like yeah. the drum playing and, and especially Joe Perry's guitars. And it was much more kind of constrained on this one.
1: Yeah. I I feel like they were trying to go for something that they didn't quite hit in that section, at at least not for me. Um, But it's not, it's, it's not what that band developed into because they really weren't on that progressive side. They're pretty much a three, four or four, four band um, just playing the groove. Uh, you know, just making a nice song. Um, and this, this really felt like they were trying. But if you also think of the time frame, um, this would not have been uncommon in the late 60s, early 70s to be playing those kind of parts. But it, right. it just doesn't suit this band. <laughs>
0: weather pull yourself together don't be catching the blues uh, i i imagine that he just put those words together because they sounded cool yeah
1: <laughs> i think that was that was kind of maybe his his beginning of being able to do that and he would get better at it as time goes on because that is kind of a Steven tyler trait in in yep. that, those three lines right there um i'm digging what i'm hearing but i feel like the there's they're not transitioning. I think that's the other thing that's kind of missing is they're just changing from part to part, but they're really not transitioning very well.
0: You, you can almost feel the trepidation uh, being in a studio and recording, right? Like they, they just yeah. were playing kind of, kind of scared a little bit. And, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that that would become a Steven Tyler trait. Better weather, pull yourself together, don't be catching the blues. It's no uh, sweat hog mama with a face like a gent said my get up and go must have got up and went like that's yeah. classic steven tyler right
1: right this was yeah. like when he was like hey look what i can do yeah and then just got better <laughs> at it as time went on absolutely yeah
0: oh and you got a little fuzz from the amp there classic nice. recording technique so let's uh make it don't break it, Scott Haskin. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, let's see. It was not a single. So if it's going to go on the mixtape, uh, it's going to have to take the place of something on the deep cut side, which currently includes Heart Stun Time, Road Runner, No More, No More, no More Girl Keeps Coming Apart, Bone to Bone, Coney Allen, Whitefish Boy, The Farm, Simariah, Rats in the Cellar, and Combination. The question becomes, does Make It belong on the mixtape?
1: You know, I think, it's, I think it's a decent song. Um, I think it needs a lot of work. I don't think it's really up to, and and granted, this is their first album. They, they had probably worked with producers up to this point. Um, I, I think this is, is a very great example of the youth of Aerosmith. Um, I would not say, it's hard to say that their first song doesn't belong as a, you know, foundational piece to say this is where they started. But that would be the only argument that I could make for it being on the tape. If I were to say uh, to somebody, if our point is to say to somebody, here's a list of songs that I would listen to if you want to understand Aerosmith, I don't think this would be a great representation of the band. That's where I land too. If if we're compiling a mixtape
0: to tell people that this is the ultimate representation of this band, I don't know if this song is it because it doesn't sound like this band uh, in a yeah. lot of instances. You mentioned uh, because it's the first track on the first album, there's some validity there. Uh, to me, I go back to the song Moving Out because that was technically the first song Joe and Steven ever wrote together. Mm-hmm. Also from this album, uh, track seven. Um, I would have put that on the mixtape over this one. And because that one's off, I can't justify this one going on. It's a cool tune. I dig mm-hmm. Make It. I still bop along whenever it comes on. Uh, whenever they play it live, I, I think it's a, a standout. I wish they'd do it more often. But uh, I'm going to vote no as well. So that's two no's for Make It being on the cut side of the mixtape. Oh, but Scott Haskin, uh, whoa, what should we do first? You know what? I want to do this first. Okay. It's time to play. How many times have Aerosmith performed Make It? Remember, this song was recorded and released in 1973, and we're currently in 2023. Uh, How many times do you think the band performed it?
1: I, I think that this was probably their opener for a while, but I don't know how much they toured in the early days. So I'm going to say 83 times, 83 times. I think that might be a little high, but I'm going to go with that. Starting to feel like Mark Kameyer over here. (laughs) Who has been right. Like the last 12
0: times, the more he bitches the more he gets them sure. right, but unfortunately <laughs> you went over uh, the yeah. correct answer. Again, according to Setlist.fm, 31 times.
1: That's all. Okay.
0: Yeah. First played uh, December 3rd, 1971 at the Academy of music in New York, New York last played November 26, 2003 at the fleet center in
1: Boston. I'm going to guess that something off of toys in the attic probably replaced it. If this was their opener. And it was opening uh, for a while. I'm just kind of looking
0: at the 73 uh, set lists. Because it would be uh, weird to put this song in the middle with those lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, with, with the opening line is, uh, uh, good evening, people, welcome to the show. Uh, you yeah. know, it should open, and it did for a long time. I'm looking at the May 4th, 1973 set list at Beverly Hills High School, in, or sorry, Beverly High School in Beverly, Massachusetts. Uh, they played Make It, One Way Street, Somebody, Walkin' the Dog, Write Me a Letter, Mom and Kin, and Dream On was the closer. Mm-hmm. And in 2003, I bet you didn't open that show. Let's check it out. It did, actually, at the Fleet Center. They but... went from make, they made from make It to Love in an Elevator.
1: And then Toys in the Attic was third. So And Pink and... was fifth. I know how much you like Pink. They played it fifth. <laughs> and that th- going from that to Love in an Elevator could happen to us next week because that is on the dice. That's absolutely true, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to bring
0: up another uh, 2003. They played it again at the Verizon Wireless Center. Uh, it opened there too. Same thing. Make it love it in an elevator toys in the attic, then monkey on my back and then pink. Hmm. And don't worry. Well, they they did play stop missing round as well. That was oh, song God.
1: number eight. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Um, You know, I, I I'm just going to throw this out there, Joe, if you're listening to this, if, if you are hurt in any way by this album, while you guys have your break, Get the Hollywood vampires together. Go re-record this with those guys. Alice Cooper would sound pretty cool singing this. I think he would with th- with this style of Stephen's voice. I think Alice Cooper could cover that. Uh, yeah. You know, do the uh, do the Roger Waters thing. Just re reimagine your album. Sure, just completely waste everybody's time. <laughs> All right, Scott, we got one
0: last piece of business to cover. That's you got to replace. Make it on the dice. So. Let's see. We got songs from Rockin' a Hard Place, Get Your Wings. Uh, And then we have uh, three kind of later era Aerosmith with Permanent Vacation, Get a Grip and Pump. Are
1: are you going younger? You going cover? You going completely out of left field? What are you thinking? I'm going Nine Lives. That's what I think. Because we are not, we don't have a Nine Lives songs on the dice yet. I'm going with Fallen Angels.
0: Ooh, Fallen Angels. Where do Fallen Angels go? Because it seems
1: like so many bands have a song called fallen angel falling angels fallen angels some sort of uh you know version of that and i'm curious to see what aerosmith is
0: interesting well i i don't want to tip my hand i know this song quite well and mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to listening to it with you to, to to get your take on it so fallen angels from nine lives we've now got four songs we got permanent one from permanent vacation one from pump one from get a grip and now one from nine lives so we're going uh the four albums in, in sequence there, which is kind of cool. And then mm-hmm. Rock in a Hard Place and Get Your Wings. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but until then, Scott Haskin, uh, why don't you tell the fine folks about yourself, your multitude of podcasts, and the good fine folks at the Deep Dive Podcast Network?
1: Well, I, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, you and Kevin and Chaz are now dominating the Deep Dive Podcast Network with the number of podcasts that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I am more known for putting out not a number of podcasts, but more a number of episodes. Uh, Over the week of Halloween, I had eight straight days of podcasts coming out. Then two days later, I had another one. And the only reason that one was delayed was because the interview that I did uh, got delayed. Because my my guest was it was not feeling well when we had scheduled it. So we had to reschedule it. Otherwise, it would have been nine days in a row. And um, so, yeah, it's weird because I, I'm i not dominating this anymore. And I'm happy to not dominate it anymore. Uh, but I have a lot more episodes. So you and I do this show. You and John Mariano do Backtracks theme music. You and Mark Kamara do. And the podcast will rock. You guys are narrowing down your, uh, your less than 30 on the wheel. So it's yeah, going to be Yeah, 25. 25. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes next. You and Kevin, uh, of course, do the ultimate catalog clash, which everybody should uh, just as soon as you're done listening to this, go listen to that because you can't get enough of Corey morrisette and anyone uh kevin not to be undone has the tom petty podcast and also seaside review that he does with his buddy randy i had my show uriah heap the magicians podcast where i covered everything that uriah heap ever recorded and then we have nate and john at the deep purple podcast the simple man and Skinner reconsidered terry t-bone mathley at t-bones prime cuts on the other side riot sabbath bloody podcast Paul, Joe, and David at In the Lap of the Pods, Rounding Out the Queen podcast. Also, Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge. Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z. Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast. Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. George and Hattie at the Judas Priest cast. They've been on hiatus for a little bit, but I'm sure they're coming back soon. We have Clay and Riot North by South podcast. uh, Greg and Jonathan at So Far So Pod So What. Quinn at N volume for all Savnik, Nick, Stephen, Mark at the rock roulette podcast, Chaz and Greg at regarding Lulu, Chaz and Shatz at rush rash and Chaz and Wolfie at regarding Roger. Now I will say, Corey, uh, as we're recording, this, uh, is early, but when this comes out, this should have already happened. You were recently a guest on the rush rash podcast.
0: Yes, I was. I survived, uh, my rush rash. Uh, it actually started off as barely a few little bumps near my elbow, uh, but mm-hmm. the rush rash has grown a little bit cause we spun a very good song. Uh, I won't root it for the folks who maybe I uh, haven't heard that episode yet, but, uh, I was very happy with the song we spun and good. I'm very happy uh, to to have been on that show. I understand you uh, might be on the, uh, the old rush rash uh,
1: in the future. We have talked about it. I said, uh, when you, when you can schedule it, let me know. Um, I find it, I find that one kind of interesting. It's almost like you doing the the old Genesis on Ultimate Catalog Clash, a little more progressive for you.
0: It is, yeah. But uh, the song we spun was '80s Rush, like late '80s Rush. So Mm -hmm. uh, they were just kind of getting back into guitars Uh, at at that point. There's actually a really cool uh, guitar riff in that in the song I spun. So uh, I was very happy it wasn't like you know late '70s, early '80s Rush. You know when he was wearing the big shoulder pad (laughs) jackets and he was playing the bass (laughs) with no head on it, and it was weird.
1: Yes. And of course, we have some friends outside of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Our buddies, Sean Geek and Fast Fred, Eric at Booked on Rock, Ken Knapsock at Pop and Radio. Go to the website, guys, scotthaskin.com. Click on the Aerosmith Podcast link, scroll down, and you can download Ken's uh, app from the link there. And of course, the flagship of all Deep Dive Podcasts, Pod of Thunder.
0: That's right. The recognized symbol of excellence. In rock and roll podcasting today, yesterday, and forevermore. Uh, But Scott Haskin, thank you very much uh, for this week. Uh, We had a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing this again with you next week. Uh, We're getting closer to halfway done.
1: Scary, isn't it? I know, right? Time's just
0: moving too fast.
1: I think part of it too was that we diverted for a while covering some live songs. And so that, yeah. that uh, kind of skewered how we were getting through the studio tracks, but I think we're on a good pace. Uh, we've been doing a show every week and uh, it's been a blast doing this. That's right. And we'll
0: be back here again next week to do it all over again. So on behalf of Scott Haskin, my name is Corey Morset. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Steven Tyler.